Welcome to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns. Real people, real voices, real lives. Discussing mental health, addiction and disability in the community. Your weekly window to the real world. Welcome to Take It From Us. Producing the program as always alongside myself. Uh, remember too, to leave us a note via the Facebook page, facebook.com. I uh, get to take it from us. Any thoughts, uh, things that you, topics that you would like us to cover, guests that you think would be good to, to bring onto the program, we're, we're all ears. And of course, our special Sheldon shout out, just a little bit of love, a little bit of dap that we like to hand out at the end of every program. Uh, you can leave us a nomination there as well. It is Men's Health Week. Yeah, Men's Health Week's rolled around again. Big focus on our show today. Uh, Tim Green will join the program a little later. He is the director of Men's Health Week. Uh, it is right now as we speak, so we'll get into what Tim has to say a little bit later today. We'll also hear from Jared Vaughan from Farmstrong. He will join us to talk about what his organisation does to help farmers with their well-being. Really good organisation. These guys do some great work. But particularly the last few tough years, what is it that his team has been able to do to try as best they can to help farmers who often feel isolated? They often feel like the world is really hard up against them and they don't know where to turn. So we'll hear from Tim and also Jared still to come. But first up is a man who's helped greatly to bring awareness to the mental and emotional health challenges of farmers in our rural community. He wrote a book, it's turned into quite a famous book actually, called The Resilient Farmer, Weathering the Challenges of Life and the Land. He wrote that in 2017. He's spoken at many public events alongside Sir John Kerwin and his name is Doug Avery. Doug, we've been really looking forward to having you on our program. So thank you so much for your time to have a chat with us today. How are you doing? I'm really well, thanks. Yeah. Do, do people look at you and go, that, he's, that's the resilient farmer? Do people know you by that moniker? Um, a few years ago, that was the way it is. But you know, I'm pretty much old cheese really now and nowhere near as um, alive in the community as I used to be. So... I don't get as much of it uh, as I used to, but I still probably get a contact once or twice a week and sometimes more from people that want to talk to me about my book. Uh, so my book is um, is still really strong mm. out there and, and, and people that read it find it uh, extremely um, engaging and encouraging for, for their well-being. It's um, stunned me, really. <laughs> How has did your life change markedly at all when the book came out in two thousand seventeen? Oh yeah, it was it was huge. It was absolutely huge. I had no idea that that was going to happen. I um, when I first read the book myself when it was finished for the first time, I uh, literally just cried and cried and cried. I've never had my life presented to me uh, in the face like that, and. Um, 
and I was really pleased with how it had come up. But I thought, well, a few of my mates might buy a copy and slide it into their bookcase and never read it. Uh, when it was released, it was two or three weeks before it was the best-selling non-fiction book in New Zealand. And uh, that blew me away. And then, of course, it escaped from New Zealand and, and went around the world, and that led to an international speaking career for me, uh, which you know, only lasted for a few years, but I had one hell of a ride there for a while. Yeah, COVID's probably disrupted things, has it? Yeah, COVID's disrupted things hugely. Um, I, I've been um, requested to go back to England again because farmers over there are struggling. But I think for, um, it's not only farmers. Everybody, there's a, there's a struggle on globally, really, and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And, you know, like um, uh, de- developing resilient mindset tools and stuff like that mm. is still, it's still huge. But... Um, um, yeah, you know, I've found I've found the last couple of years parts of it quite hard as well, um, but of course I've got the tools and I know how I know what the feelings of the the dangerous feelings are. As soon as I even have one get even close, I'm like a fox terrier. I run out there and chase it out of the yard. <laughs> so you've got what this incredible self awareness now to be to be fully cognizant about what's going on in your mind. Yeah, have you got like a very strong radar detection system now? Yep. So, so uh, Doug Avery now is more afraid of ever going into depression again than anything else. Mm. Um, uh, amazingly, uh, uh, going through the process of uh, death with my with when my mother passed away, and she'd always had a very strong Christian faith and uh, and was an incredibly strong human being. And when I was a little boy and being a bit naughty, I said to her, I wish you'd die. Um, and that wasn't a very nice thing to say. She just disciplined me. And she said to me, you might have to wait a bit. Well, she was 98 when she passed. And I asked her, she'd told me several times she had no fear of death. And that was cool. Mm. Uh, because when she did die, I realised she didn't have a fear. And so my only fear really in life is depression. I really never want to go back there again. So I understand how to deal with my emotional well-being uh, 24-7. How bad did it get for you? Uh, bad, really bad. Um, I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't realise how bad I was until I started to recover. And then I had flashbacks of some of the things that went on. Thank God I can't remember it all. And no one here in my household wants to remember all of that time because it was ugly for everybody. Mm. Uh, probably my wife suffered more than I did. Um, but she uh, indicates to me on a regular basis, she's pleased she stuck around oh, to, meet the, to meet the man who went missing for five years and came back. Was, was, the, was the change in your persona that steep, was it, that you changed uh, dramatically within a five-year period? Oh, I slowly disappeared and I slowly came back. But, uh, you know, there was no John Curran in those days. There was no one out there. There was no talk about mental health if you were... If you if you if you were brought it up with most people, you're just a soft bastard that needed to harden up. And uh, John Curran will remain as a great hero of mine because he enabled people like me to own up to to our our brokenness and come to terms with it. Really, mm. um, it, it it wasn't until well after he sort of first uh, started talking about it 
that I actually became aware of the fact that I needed to take more ownership about where I'd been. And um, doing that has um, really made my life so much happier, so much safer, and um, and so much more inspirational for myself, you know, let alone other people. You know, I've been able to share with literally thousands of human beings firsthand uh, tools and techniques of how to manage their minds. And so, yeah, well worthwhile, put value for me. Um, I think working in the sector has been one of the most valuable things that I've ever done for myself, um, let alone anyone else. And you're so right to mention the fact that many years ago, the, the, the kind of the brave kind of, I guess, masculine New Zealand culture, but and I could imagine it would be accentuated in, in an industry like farming, would be to say, harden up, swallow a concrete pill, don't be soft, and all of the rest of it. To, yeah. How were you able to wrestle with that part of your identity and those people that were close to you to actually making the changes that you need to make? Yeah, so so I was brought up uh, in a typical uh, rural um, uh, background, a brilliant father and mother, loving as hell and what have you, but always present was that sort of that culture that you know males have got to you know don't be a girl you, you you're not a girl don't come on you know stand up there uh didn't actually really ever occur to me that that was a kind of grooming process that happened just in our culture uh but when life became in the in the area where i was most sensitive to which was i always wanted to be a good farmer i got away to a great start, but when I couldn't be a good farmer and I knew I wasn't a good farmer and when I saw degradation occurring on my land, it was more than I could take. Uh, I hadn't known, uh, I didn't have the tools of how to uh, manage my, uh, firstly, vulnerability and secondly, shame. Um, and so today I live with the ever ever-present gratitude of the fact that while the five years was pretty severe and there was a lot of bad stuff happened, at least I was broken to the su- sufficiently to realise that I had to change. Uh, the change didn't come from me learning mental health tools. The, came, the change came uh, from what John Curran later presented, which I didn't even understand then, was actually a university professor who offered me a system of farming uh, through really a one-hour, one-day, one-address that gave me hope. And on the thread of that one-hour, one-day address, uh, I built a life back which took us in 10 years to winning South Island Farmer of the Year, something that would never, ever have happened Mm. if I hadn't gone through my brokenness. Mm. So, you know, like I've helped hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people to arrest themselves from emotional decline. And the way I do it is to to turn their minds to solutions and opportunities away from the regret or degradation or the negative thoughts that they have. And really that's the only way you can actually help a mind is to re-energise it with hope. Mm. And that's what happened to me. And I also threw away that ridiculous maleness thing that I had to be in the front doing the most, working the hardest and blah, 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 uh, to um, 
to um, what I often refer to as a geese formation, flying with the help of brothers and, and uh, mentors and that around me. Geese get 71% more flying distance from flying in a V. And from that day on, I've always flown in the V, utilised the power of other humans to support me, mentor me, assist me on my journey. And I just love being in the in the geese flock, not necessarily leading. And so the break, the breaking of my hardness, my emotional hardness, my ridiculously hardened male attitude allowed a new life to flourish. <laughs> We're with Doug Avery on Take It From Us today. You can uh, find him actually online. He's known as The Resilient Farmer. He had a very successful book published a few years ago and went from from deep depression in the late 90s to being the South Island Farmer of the Year in 2010 and now has helped a number of people, notably farmers, of course, and is a motivational speaker. Doug, how many farmers are still of that kind of old way of looking at their lives as opposed um, to maybe having made some changes? Uh, you know, still still a lot. And, uh, you know, like farming, uh, all, all, all human integration in, the, in this time and age is difficult. And so, you know, like it's not confined to farmers, but farmers definitely have an isolated sort of environment. But there's a, there's a lot of the younger farmers are doing a lot better and they've got things like surfing for farmers and, you know, they get off the farm and Farmstrong's made a difference. The Rural Support Trust has made a real difference. People like me getting up and talking, my book has made a real difference. John Kerwin's made a real difference. There's a much greater awareness around, and I think gradually males are realising that Females actually like emotionally strong men. That doesn't mean that they can lift a 40 tonne of bricks in a day and still come home laughing. It means that they can deal with the shit that comes into their life without it breaking their minds. And so, you know, as men are getting permission to own up and um, and deal with their vulnerability, because, you know, vulnerability is the pathway forward. And when I learned that it was okay to be vulnerable... I actually started to learn to grow my capacity as a human being. The last 20 years have been the most exciting of my life. I've not only learned more in the last 20 years, I've had the most exciting time. And that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had a break, a breakdown. So I just always say to people, don't actually get upset if your son or your uncle or your husband or something, just get help for them, get the right kind of help that turns their mind to the fertility that their life can possibly have. And that's what I do. How many farmers would be lonely and therefore aren't, aren't opening up and dealing with their emotions and involving others for help? Uh, uh, prob- probably quite a few. And at any given time, uh, the industry's going through a lot of change and it always it's always has and it's always needed to. And one of the one of the great problems is it occurs for it occurs for every every human being, not only uh, urban or rural people. I don't think there's a hell of a lot of difference between uh, the two lots. It's just that farming is a little bit more isolated. But change is a hard thing to get around uh, for a person like me who virtually changed my total business and my integration into life. I've got change. I almost like to knock a few things over every year so I have to change so when um, and I, I, I don't know whether you're allowed to use this word on your program but it's the only word I know that really describes it when shit hits me 
I actually welcome it and looked at how am I going to respond. And so the energy field that I bring with me is how do you respond to the challenges? And when you help people to learn how to do that, that comes under the framework of what I adopted, the resilient framework. You build in resilience at good times, and you can draw down on that resilience at tough times. It's just like banking. You deposit when things are good. You can draw down on it when they're not so good. And if, if anyone out there listening to this thinks that they're the only people that have had a tough time, I, I know hardly anyone that has. It's how you respond to the events that occur in your life. And learning to respond better is something available to everybody. Yeah, we can all learn how to become more resilient. We can all learn to pick up tools to put in our toolbox and to make better decisions and choices to, to kind of take back the, the power into, into our own hands, can't we, Doug? We don't have to be sitting there uh, feeling powerless when we, we've got options. So how do you do that? How have you done that? And how do you look after yourself? Okay, so so... I'll just give you an example of how I approach. I get a lot of people come to me, and especially through COVID, a lot of urban people came to me and said, yeah, I don't know what to do with my business and I can't pay the bills and blah, blah, blah. I call myself today a storyteller. I swan around the place telling stories to people, and a lot of people like my stories. When somebody comes to me, they've always got their story. We're all storytellers. They've got their story to tell me. Uh, and they'll usually be in a state, I'll meet them at the door and I'll say, how are you? And they'll say, oh, no, I'm fine, Doug. You know, and I'll say, come in, can I get you a coffee? Sit down, tell me what's going on. They'll burst into tears and tell me their story. It's their current story. They always tell you their current story and it's no good. After about 40 minutes, I intervene and I just listen. And telling your current story to somebody is a very um, helpful process. And then I'll say to them, that's your current story. Could you share with me a little bit about your past story? And you'll immediately see them sit up in their chair and they'll say, do you mean when I was be- when I was feeling good? And I say, yeah, tell me a bit about that. And for 10 minutes, I'll let them run on about when things were good. Um I usually, during that period of time, you just see a slight emotional change from where they're sucking back the brutality of what's currently going on. And then I'll pause to them, I'll say to them, there's only one way I can help you. And this is why I'm telling you this story, because this is valid for every every human being on the earth. How can I help you? What's your future story? Where would you like to be? in a few years' time, and they'll look at me and say, like, Doug, are you talking about, like, where could I be if I really applied myself? I'll say, yeah, you tell me where you would be in two months, in two years, in five years, and then I will start to put my skills around helping you to understand the kind of people you need to invite back into your life. Because usually when you are suffering from depression, you're already starting to isolate yourself. And at that stage, I find 9 out of 10, 99 out of 100 people are starting to already feel the thread of the rebirth of hope. Hmm. Not that hard. 
Oh, everything about mental health, Doug Avery simplifies. I, I use simple language with people. I use words like shit because when shit hits you, you feel really bad. I, I should use manure, but it's not quite the same. And, you know, <laughs> when you simplify it, so what's happening in a broken mind is there's a swirl of energy going round and round the brain I describe it as taking the lid off a spaghetti can. You look in there, it's red. The red represents the heat. There's a tangled mess. What what simple language and redirection of thought patterns into individual tasks to make a difference for that person's future is like combing the hair. It straightens out the fibres. It takes the heat out of the generation. It calms people into a... I can, and I, I think I can, I think I will kind of mode. And um, if you're early enough in the piece, hell, I can just one or two sessions with somebody and I can have them kicking goals again, you know, aiming at the top rung, settled in their mind pattern, uh, reaching out for mentors who can help them on their journey to achieve mm-hmm. their goals. So it's about mindset, and so you're you're taking these people from a from a dissonant state, uh, a negative state of mind, into a state of resonant thinking, where they can be optimistic and positive. And we yep. know when it comes to behavioural change, don't we, Doug? That, that only good things can come when we are thinking optimistically and where we are thinking hopefully. Do, do people buy into that straight away? Oh, you know, nearly everybody does it. There's a, there's a percentage of people out there that, you know, like to me, they've got a bloody, um, a left-hand thread and they just can't, you just can't get them away from negative thinking. But the, if, if I get involved with a human being early enough, uh, you can stop the rot. It's like treating cancer or anything else. Early intervention is the, is the thing. And we need to be, as a society, a lot more wary about change of behaviour of our of our loved ones, of our workmates. Of you know, I used to call it the three ugly sisters: envy, anger, and blame. When you see people really angry or envious or all those destructive things, they are the start of rot. And so, I'm I'm exceptionally tuned to understand how that goes. So, in my instance, my my depression was brought on with a drought. But mm. when I read my own book, I realised, boy, was I ever a sitter for it. All my life, up until age 44, I responded to every challenge by working harder. And when the drought hit, I laid off my staff and worked harder even still. The day my last staff member left that farm and went down the road, and he was a bloody good guy as well, I'd written a guarantee of depression on my life. And I know that now. And the farm out at Grassmere, we employ more people now than we need because we know that we don't ever want to go down that road again. That road was so destructive. And you know what happens when you um, when you develop great relationships with people and you have more and everyone in the team is, is motivated and happy uh, do you know what happens? Your business flies. We're good to people, we're good to the planet, and we're good to ourselves. The, the Bonavere story is still as powerful as the day that it started. It's 
I've just been out on the farm today, and it's an it's a it's a display of excellence. So when the book was published, and you sat there and read it, and you were in pieces afterwards, and you were in tears, what was it about your story that brought out so much emotion in you? <laughs> Still does. It was like uh, it was like looking into a mirror into my own heart. Uh, I had never given myself heart surgery. And as I read each story, and as I wrapped it around the knowledge that I'd gained since, I got this incredible insight into myself. And that insight, uh, where a depressed person is blameful of everybody else, everybody else has caused their problem, and they might either be angry and aggressive or quiet and withdrawn. But part of the healing of human being uh, goes into allowing them to discover their own soul. And uh, in my case, I'd always been a very analytical person, and it was my analytical nature which destroyed me but it was also my analytical nature which has created hopefully a decent buffer between self-destruction ever again uh, I started to realise the errors in my thinking and the errors in my behaviour and as I started to reintegrate which happened virtually from that first day with Moot but the first four years was incredibly uh, stressful and difficult I still had so much to learn. I still have. But, you know, isn't this that word, learn? One of the five keys of well-being. And I'm mainly today working with middle-aged people that have destructed, but I do work with young people, not so many old people. I work mostly with uh, 38 to 52-year-old males and some females. And nearly all of them, their destruction starts from their uh, inability to manage vulnerability and shame, which leads them to become stale, unadventurous, less learning, all this sort of stuff going on, and they start that um, spiral of destruction. And uh, it's something that I've got. I've become extremely good at grabbing individual people, understanding where they are, Reinviting them to join life and wrapping around them the thought patterns in people that they can do in a productive way to re energize them on a journey of hope. Nice point to finish on hope. We all need hope in our lives, don't we? Without it, things can look really, really dire. We need hope. And if we can find some, hang on to it. That's the message from Doug Avery. And that's a man, you know, you can still hear the emotion in his voice even years later from where he found himself in life to be telling the story of how just slowly and surely he was able to build back his resilience. And, and that's a key theme in his book. It's called The Resilient Farmer, uh, written by Doug Avery back in 2017. He speaks around New Zealand. And, you know, he's changed the lives, helped change the lives of many, many people, most notably farmers in our rural community. There's also an organisation that is there for farmers, to specifically help farmers, because... It can be isolating, it can be tough, it can feel lonely at times, and our farmers need support, they need help. You know, the suicide rate amongst farmers is really, really worrying. 
and, and we need to get that down. Jared Vaughan joins us now on Take It From Us. He is the Farmstrong Program Director. We want to hear about what his organisation does, how specifically it helps farmers, particularly with their mental and emotional well-being. It's been a really tough few years, but most notably, I think, the last couple since COVID-19 hit our shores a little while ago. So it's uh, a warm welcome into the program to Jared Vaughan, who, as I say, is the Farmstrong Program Director. Jared, uh, nice of you to join us today. How are you doing? Are you doing well? Good, Kent. Yeah, no, having a good day, trying to keep warm in Wellington today. Yeah, all right. We we just had a, we had a really interesting chat with Doug Avery. I'm guessing you know him quite well. I know Doug well. Yeah. Yes, I've yeah. Actually, well, I met Doug. He was one of the very first people that I talked to back in 2014 uh, when we were starting working yeah. on the idea with um, on, of Farmstrong, and it's really where he started to talk publicly. Yeah. Actually, following those, uh, you know, soon after those earthquakes. Yes. He had and but then also you know talked about the what he had been through with his droughts and how that had personally impacted on him mm. and what he had done to get through that so uh yeah he's an awesome uh, awesome farmer and, a, and an awesome person actually for just putting himself out there mm. yeah the, the courage and the vulnerability that he's shown yeah, ha- has, totally. has been really really encouraging what about farmstrong how, how did that come about with a little bit more detail and and what is it that you're doing these days? Look, the, actually, the thinking for the the idea behind Farmstrong, we have these amazing rural support trusts. Uh, so there's 14 of them around the country. And, the, you know, when farmers are going through these personal, really tough times and these struggles and uh, they're needing some help wrapped around them, it'll be uh, the rural support trust that will go up the farm driveway and uh, sit around the coffee table or the, and have a cup of tea and just try to work out you know, what's going on for those people. But really, and that's really important, you know, when individuals are in those sort of, at that high levels of distress, we need to be really proactive. But we also, when we started looking at this need with the stress and pressure in uh, in the in the farming and growing sector, why would you wait for someone <laughs> to be struggling for a long time with stresses and pressures and and think, well, the only help we've got is when you reach crisis or high levels of distress. Surely there must be also, as well as, you know, important on the ground, boots on the ground. Actually, what are some other ways that we could promote the science of wellbeing around the things that you can do to keep yourself well? And that was the idea, because there is a science around this. You know, we, I mean, I went, I'm, I'm an older guy, so, you know, I, I learned to read and write at school, but no one taught me around the, the top two inches, around the way that, you know, thoughts, emotions and behaviours, how they all into play. And actually if we, you know, I've learned sometimes the hard way that actually there's things that you can do uh, to have better outcomes and to experience better emotions that are protective of some of the more common mental health problems. But they're also really good, you know, from a farmer's point of view. And this is how we've promoted Farmstrong. They're really good for business, actually, for staying on top of things and keeping yourself well. So if you keep yourself well, so is this, am I right in thinking that the message to farmers would be if you keep yourselves well, you are going to be more productive on the farm, you'll be more successful, and when the bad times hit, and inevitably they will, you have greater coping mechanisms and tools to deal with it. Actually, totally. And I mean, sometimes we're, with all the best of effort, we will sometimes become mentally unwell. But actually, these are these are the habits that you won't go down quite as deep, <laughs> and you'll come out quicker. You know, if you've got some of these well-being science of well-being, these practical things that you can do 
um, you know, to, to keep yourself well. But definitely, and farmers have told us this, when we road tested the idea, so we talked to, you know, over uh, 500 farmers, we interviewed, you know, one-on-one over 50 farming couples uh, and surveyed them, it's, it's, it's very clear to them if they're not in a good head space, um, I mean, and we all know that our risks of um, becoming mentally unwell. You know, we're trying, we're running, we're running on empty. Really, we've got nothing to draw on. But actually, it's even coupled in farming. I mean, you're around uh, moving stock, heavy machinery. You know, if you're not, and, and we've we've done quite a deep dive into just increasing your risks of accident and injury as well as um, you know, just making not making good decisions and becoming you know mentally unwell. So it's win-win all round. So how do you package up this great science and the knowledge that you've obtained and deliver it to the farmers so that it lands well? Oh, no, actually, and we asked them that. <laughs> you know, we said to them, actually, if you were, if you, what's your advice to us around how you'd design something in the space that'll work for you? Actually, some of them said, actually, that we're too busy. <laughs> we're, not looking for, we're not looking for information about this stuff. And I mean, some of them said, look, if I become unwell, I'll go looking for it then. And we'd sort of said, well, bro, that's a bit late. You know, I mean, what, why, why wouldn't you do You wouldn't do that to your stock. You wouldn't let them, if you knew they were showing signs of foot rot or something like that, you'd be onto that real quick. You know, why would you, you're the most important asset on your farm. Why would you let yourself, you know, spiral into a downward point and uh, become, you know, unwell before you looked for help? So, so first was landing them a bit around the, uh, the benefit to them. And also to understand actually what information are they looking for? And farmers said actually we're looking for information about how to uh, grow better grass, how to grow better sheep, how to get better milk fat content, how to grow better produce. And actually that was basically that was a great bit of advice to us because we said actually we need to design this as a good for business program because you're the most important asset in your business. If you fall over, the whole business is at risk. So we will actually, alongside where you're going to find information about how to be a better farmer, we're also going to provide information about uh, how to look after the most important asset on the farm, which is you and the people who work in the business. And you draw on the science of uh, grass growth, the science of animal husbandry. We're going to also share alongside that the the human science of uh, mental health and wellbeing. And... Do you have a rough idea as if we want to play percentages here or sure. or, or ages and, and demographics as to who's bought into this and who no, hasn't? Actually, we, we have more than a rough idea. Before we launched, we did a random sample survey of 450 farmers on a dashboard of 10 behavioural measures, really good mental health behavioural measures. Half of them were based on the five ways to wellbeing. So things like, you know, am I taking notice of the things in life that give me joy? That's such a good, I'm living in the moment. I'm not stressing about the future. I'm actually not ruminating on the past. It's a really good measure, that one, you know. Am I more connected? Uh, am I learning? Am I giving? You know, those, so the five ways to wellbeing, half of them are that. And the other five were based on what farmers said were the big challenges to their wellbeing, the things that actually, uh, so getting time away from the business. Actually, that's the number one for farmers. They just work long days every day of the year and and the work's unending you know so, and you need to plan time away so that's that's one of them um am i coping better with the ups and downs of farming and that's a really good and that's some of your thinking strategies 
you know, actually, what am I, how's my top two inches dealing with what's being thrown at me? So we, every year we did a benchmark. So we said, you know, ask some questions. You know, when you're trying to cook your dinner and these market research companies ring you up <laughs> and, they'd say, yeah. and they'd say, oh, do you mind if you ask her, ask her a few questions? Well, we do that to farmers. So we do a random sample, 450 farmers. We ask them these 10 behavioural measures over the last 12 months. Has it got better and worse? Are you coping better or worse than the ups and downs of farming? Another one's sleep, actually. That's massive for farmers. They just don't get, you know, get enough good quality sleep. Then what we've – so we did that. We launched in 2015, so we had a benchmark. Every year we repeat that study. And we also ask some questions around, you know, are you aware of a wellbeing program? Have you engaged in it? So last year when we did that survey, after uh, we're coming up our seventh year, we now have 20 oh, – and, and then so 36% of farmers have said to us, I have engaged with FarmStrong. So they've either they've visited the website, they've read stories, you know, through all the uh, the different media channels, come and visit us and talk to us at an agricultural event, come to one of our learning workshops. You know, we run those at conferences and at farming events. And then for those who've engaged with us, we asked those questions again and said, how much of a change would you attribute to your improvement in, in FarmStrong being involved in it? 22% of farmers attributed an improvement in their wellbeing. That's over 15,000 farmers as of last year. We want to uh, obviously reach more farmers and increase that number. So, uh, yeah, we've got pr- pr- some pretty robust measures. And, it, and it's, it's proof that there are things that you can do to improve your wellbeing that are, uh, you know, really good for your well-being, but they're also protective of some of the more common mental health problems we experience. And has COVID exacerbated yep. any problems or issues, yep. or were these deep-seated yep. long before that? Oh, no, look, actually, I think um, it's interesting, you know, because we're we're doing these uh, annual surveys, we're getting a little bit of a dashboard of from year to year, the stresses and pressures. So the good news is that people who engage with FarmStrong are reporting higher levels of improvement in their well-being compared to those who aren't. But for the last couple of years, we've seen a dip in the response across to the trend. And it has been tough. It's been tough for all of us. I mean, interestingly, I'd say in the early stages of COVID, a lot of farmers, what we were anecdotally putting up, uh, picking up, is a lot of farmers were saying, you know, if I'm going to be locked up, I've got a pretty good playground to be stuck on. <laughs> you know? And they were, they were sort of feeling... And also, they were an essential workforce, because, you know, we still needed to eat and feed and the produce and they still needed to milk their cows. So for a lot of them in those early stages, they were probably looking at people locked up in apartments in Auckland and thinking, gee, I've, I mean, really, you know, I've got a great lifestyle. I feel sorry for those people. But as it sort of rolled on, uh, I think particularly with a lot of the cancellation of events that are such an important time for farmers to get off farm and socialise and connect. You know, we've had massive agricultural events recovered. But also just, uh, I mean, the workforce issues, you know, just the for both farmers and growers, uh, because there is, you know, the, the, they do rely on migrant workforce. So they just haven't been the people around. So the stress levels have increased because the fruit needs to be picked. Uh, cows still need to be milked. You know, animals need to be fed. So that so they're working longer hours. I think then just some of the logistical uh, challenges uh, in terms of actually just, you know, the, the equipment they need, you know, that, um, uh, you know, to, to run their businesses, you know, there's been real logistical and even just getting stock, you know, to the meatworks and things like that. So I think that chronic stress has definitely 
has definitely built up. And I think like a lot of us, you know, we're just experiencing having to deal with high levels of stress, really, that's having an impact on our on our well-being. And, Jared, what's the approach if you encounter an old-fashioned man of the land, yeah. take a concrete <laughs> pill, harden up, I'm okay kind of a character, and you're laughing cause, because I'm sure you can <laughs> you, you can picture these these guys out there. What what do you yeah. say to them when, when, you, when yeah. they kind of push back a little bit? Look, do you know the it's changing? And do, do you know, I think, do you know what my my experience of this whole? I have hundreds of conversations with farmers, at, and so exactly, I know exactly the bloke you're talking to. But you know, do, do you know, like if you think of fruit, that, that fruit that has the hardest shell, they're the softest and juiciest on the inside. I like the analogy. Totally. And so, for me, it's just finding the right door. And actually, I think also, I think there's, a, there's some myths around, particularly, I think, for blokes, that we don't want to talk about this stuff. We do. We, we definitely want to talk. We just want to talk about it in a way that's strengths-based, that doesn't make us feel weak, and that we're not being judged, hmm. you know, negatively. So, you know, I think I think we've created a door that farmers will walk through because it's farm strong. We've got an awesome ambassador, Samuel Whitelock, who is, he's like one of those, he's tough on the outside, but, mate, he is soft and juicy on the inside. And he gets the stuff because he knows that, um, well, first, you know, his parents, he saw his parents from a, the dairy farming going through some tough times, and he wants to help. But actually, you know, a lot of high-performance athletes, they know the winning edge is the top two inches. And actually, a lot of the the good mental health science and well-being science, they're early adopters of this um, because they know that you're going to deal with lots of stress and anxiety, uh, disappointments, things will not go according to plan. Um, and actually, you can also just you know sometimes be in uh, fairly toxic environments if you're not, if your team's not winning <laughs> and not meeting your own expectations. So, and actually, farmers share those same those same things. So I've I've uh, yeah I think we've sort of got I think the f- the door that farmers walk in right and uh, and they do they do want to talk about this and I think the other thing is that anyone and actually this is where farmers if once I've talked to them anyone who's of a certain age most people have been through some pretty challenging times and they're actually really thankful that there's a that there's a program like this around that's, uh, you know, providing help for those people. And, you know, a lot of us, if we haven't been through that ourselves, we've been touched by, uh, you know, friends and family who we've tried, you know, as best we can to support, um, you know, through some of those struggles. So, um, yeah, so I think it's just about finding the right the right uh, opener for the conversation. Um, but I don't buy into the myths that blokes uh, don't want to talk about this stuff. In my experience, we do, and we're very happy to talk about it. But... We just want to uh, get the conversation started in the right way. Yeah, people. yeah, that's a, that's a terrific observation, and and thanks for educating us up us on that particular point. And what a great program you're running, Jared, and well done. I hope it long may it continue. Thanks for serving our farmers so well, and take care. Stress me.
It is Men's Health Week. It rolls around every year. I think they change the dates from time to time, but we are right in the, the middle of Men's Health Week. Uh, let's let's get a bit more information here. What, what is the purpose and the goal of Men's Health Week? Uh, we need to bring in Tim Green, who is the director of Men's Health Week. Tim, nice of you to join the program. Welcome into Take It From Us. How are you? Oh, great. Thank you, Kent. And it's great to be talking to you here today. It's uh, It's a really important week we've got coming up. It's Men's Health Week which uh, is June the 13th to the 19th this year. And it's a bit of a moving feast, Kent, but it's it's in June. It's usually the second or third week of June every year. And it's uh, the 12th year we've been running Men's Health Week in New Zealand. 
And, um, yeah, it's a really, we think it's a really important week. It's a general week. It's not when an illness-specific um, organization. We don't talk about uh, specifically prostate issues or we don't specifically talk heart issues. We talk the health of men in general. And really the purpose of the campaign is to, it's an awareness campaign to, to just make people aware of what issues are out there, but also to put a bit of responsibility back on us as individuals because we're the only people who really have control of our health. And if we haven't got control of our health, it's time we took some control back. And that's what really Men's Health Week is all about. It's, hey, guys, are you doing the right thing? Think of the week as a mirror, Kent. Mm. We're holding a mirror up to men, guys around the country, and saying, hey, are you really doing the right thing? Are you eating the right way? Are you drinking the right way? Uh, are you getting out and about? Are you moving your body a little bit? Are you, Or are you sitting around all day? Because those are the things that, that impact your health. And if you're not doing the right things about your health, then, well, you're actually going to end up poor, poorly off in, in terms of health and asking somebody else to help you. Mm. Really, it's about taking a little bit of control back. And that's what Men's Health Week is. One of the points of Men's Health Week is trying yeah, to do that. Yeah, I've, I've always found when I've looked at the Men's Health Week that the messages of empowerment, which is I think what you just spoke about, no one is coming to save us. We have to act and we have to do what we can to get ourselves to a healthier state. And so that message of empowerment and call for action, I, I reckon it resonates. Have, have you been able to find that men have shifted after the week that the message has got through? Gradually, I think there's a change happening Kent, in that people, uh, men in particular, are starting to talk about their health, starting to talk about their health more. There have always been guys who have been open and free in, in their discussion about their, their physical and mental health. But most of us aren't. Most of us are a little bit reticent, and it's, it's almost part of that whole Kiwi psych, you know, the old uh, staunch... Kiwi, yes, you'll be right. I'm not, I don't have to go to the doctor. And look, here's, here's an interesting thing is that two thirds, and they did a survey in the States, and two thirds of the men in the survey said that they believed they were healthier than the average person. <laughs> so, I mean, our own perceptions of our health are often wrong. And, and, uh, really, Men's Health Week is all about saying, hey, guys, look, here's a little, here's a week. Just here's a time, here's a moment. Just take a little snapshot of where you are. Uh, look at the environment you're in, what you're doing. Look at where you want to be. Do you want to walk around with it and, and, and not being able to see your legs uh, because there's a belly in the way? I mean, it's, it's, we don't have to be like that. And one of the themes of Men's Health Week this year, Kent, is that we want, instead of saying, hey, okay, you know, you're fat, you should do this, you know, you're, the, you're that, you should do that. It's about, hey, guys, let's just take small steps. If somebody says you've got to walk 10,000 steps a day. That's nonsense. Walk for five minutes. Tomorrow, bank that and walk for six, okay? And, and in, in a week's time, you'll be doing eight or ten minutes. Start slow, guys. Take those small steps because they're the ones that improve you. Big, hairy goals, I'm going to run a marathon in two months. They get abandoned in about a week. But if you say, I'm going to run a marathon in a year, 
then you're actually probably got a big chance of doing that because you're going to gradually increase your training and all the other parts that go with that, and you'll get there. And that's what we're encouraging guys to do is to start those small steps. You don't take small steps without starting, so you've got to make the first one. And after you made the first one, the second one's easier. And then the third one's even easier. So it's incremental gains. It's like compound interest, Ken. I mean, you put some money in the bank and, and, and 10 years later, it's, it's worth a fortune. Uh, it's compounded up. Your health benefits will compound if you do them in small ways, form new habits. Because that's what forms new habits, Kent. It's changing the situation you're in and doing it on a regular basis. And that becomes a habit. And it's changing small habits, taking the portion size of your meal down, uh, having three drinks instead of six, um, walking, as I said, for, you know, five minutes. Within a month or two, you could be walking 15, 20 minutes. And, and that's when the benefits are really going to start to kick in. But you've got to start. Take them small, take them gradually, bring people with you, but start. And that's the essence of Men's Health Week this year. That's the main message we're trying to get across. And we know that all health is related, whether it be mental health, spiritual health, emotional well-being. I mean, I, to be honest, I, I prefer the term well-being because we've all got mental health, Tim. Some of us have got great, strong, healthy mental stability. Others don't, but we're all on that continuum. So if we're talking about when, mental wellness and mental fitness, it is related to how we are physically, isn't it? So you've got that survey on your website, which I think is terrific for guys just to go on there, spend a few minutes answering some questions, and then what? How do you want them to act after that? After they fill that out? Yeah, we're talking about what's your score. It's, a, it's yeah. about fifteen or sixteen little questions, and, and look, they're non-invasive. We we don't ask uh, anything about you. We there's there's no data getting collected. It's not a data harvest or anything like that. But what that is really designed to do, Kent, is to show the milestone checks that men need to be taking. Uh, they need to get their skin checked at some stage, uh, especially people who are working outside. Um, you need to have your cholesterol checked. You need to have all these different little checks done. You need to have your PSA checked uh, for prostate cancer. These, the questions are there. Have you been to your doctor in the last six months? The whole survey is designed to be a prompt, Kent. It, it's not a. It's not a. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm good. I'm. I'm. I'm not good. It's. Oh shit! I haven't been to the doctors. I haven't been to the doctor in four years. I haven't had my skin checked ever. I don't know what my cholesterol levels are. So it's just a, it's a gentle way of, of outlining the various milestone markers men should be trying to tick off as they, as they move through life. And I, one interesting thing about the survey, Kent, is that we find a lot of women uh, like the survey. A few years ago, we were printing them out in hard copy and giving them out at, at uh, in pharmacies, and we even went to field days and we're giving them out there. And and uh, the woman would, the men would walk past you trying to hand them out a leaflet with what's your score on it, and the their wives would uh, lean over, grab the leaflet, and say, "Yes, he'll be doing that." And I mean, it is. What's your score is a way to introduce a health conversation that is, um, excuse me, uh, it's a way to, what's your score is a way to introduce a health conversation that's non-invasive, that is, that a wife or a partner can sit down with someone and say, okay, Kent, let's do this little survey together. And then she is not the bad guy. 
the survey is the the bad guy. The survey is the third party that's telling the man that he's actually not doing things the right way. And so, in that sense, the what's your score is a very useful and and even the 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 title of it. It's what's your score. I mean, what's your score, Kent? Have you done it? So uh, you know, it, it can become a challenge to mates. It can be a workplace uh, um, tool, and we're finding a lot of businesses are downloading it from our website and and using it and sending it out to their to their workforce because it is, as I say, it's a uh, non-confrontational way of of letting people know that their health regime might not be up to scratch. That is Tim Green, the director of Men's Health Week, here on Take It from Us. My little tip for what it's worth. Go to the doctor once a year and see it as a warrant of fitness. Blood pressure check, heart rate check, anything else, maybe some blood tests. That's what I do once a year, and it is great peace of mind. I I look at my body as I would my car. (laughs) Go in there, get it looked at, make sure that I'm okay. The doctor gives me the big high five as I walk out the door. I feel great. So that's what I try and do at least once a year, go and get a warrant of fitness, and it's it's. Good for my mental well-being to know that I've put myself first. That is our problem. Well, not quite our program for today. Karen, we've got another Sheldon shout-out. We love this part of the program. Thanks, Kent. Yes, I've got a great story about a couple of University of Canterbury students, Max Devonshire and Thomas Vincent. Now, they're behind a new initiative, Flat Chats, and it's a campaign that offers students a free meal and a chance to sit down and have a sober conversation about mental health, with the emphasis, I think, being on sober, just encouraging students to talk about their health, their mental health, in a sober situation so they can have deep and sort of meaningful conversations uh, rather than getting a few drinks deep to have those conversations. So I think it's a great idea. They're going into flats once a week with a roast meal and, uh, and chatting to other students about mental health. Yeah, the roast meal so much better than a few beers. Well, great idea. Well, way to go, Max and Thomas. Big shout out to those boys. Love it. Thank you so much, Karen, for looking after me again for today. Big Avery to Tim Green and to Jared Vaughan, our special guests on our program. Please look after yourself. Let's look after each other. Let us take it from us for this week. Take care. You've been listening to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns, produced by Karen Murphy, executive producer Andrew Dewhurst, made with the real stories and voices from our community. And for that, we thank you. For more information on anything you've heard on today's show or for direction on where to seek further advice or assistance, visit our Facebook page, Take It From Us.
Our Earth is a